Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 253 of the Falcoholic Live. I am your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by my guest. He is Daniel Flick at D-Flick Draft. Well, not D-Flick Draft. Remember, it's a new... Okay, I just did it because I just read the card. I, I can't put two thoughts in my mind. It is now at by Daniel Flick. It's a new at. So, Daniel, welcome. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I had to had to change it up a little bit. Kind of got a little tired of the old name and had to had to kind of accurately portray uh, where I'm at at the moment. So, yeah, sorry about the whole graphic deal there. Um, I mean, really, just a tough spot for an me, unfortunate man. turn of events. Yeah. Just truly kind of not what you want to see, but no, glad to be on. Glad to uh, talk some Falcons ball as always, and obviously very excited to continue my uh, illustrious track record on the Falcoholic Pod. So yes, ready to go. Daniel has flown up the the ranks of our of our guests here uh, because I had to get a pinch hitter for for Adnan who's dealing with with some stuff, and uh, you know Eric was also busy. So Daniel's now made it to third in the rotation, which is a meteoric rise. So congratulations, Daniel, on that. I know it's a, a yeah, crowning achievement geez. for you. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm very very proud of that. It's a truly, as I said, illustrious. I, I I'm very very excited. Um, you know, it's a huge accomplishment. So hopefully, you know, keep on rising up the. Uh, rising up the 53 man and make sure that I'm, you know, safe come uh, roster cuts next shoot, Tuesday, I believe. So yeah, Definitely. I don't know. I think, I, I think I'm off the bubble for now. I think I'm off the bubble. Yeah. I think you're off the bubble. I would say like core depth piece, you know, maybe special teams ACE uh, type level at this stage, but we'll see, we'll see, you know, we got a whole season. We by the end of the season, you could be, you know, a core rotational piece on the defensive line or something like that. So um, there we go. I'll yeah. be Nate Landman. There you go. Yeah, third linebacker, Nate Lamman. Uh Put some respect put some respect on him. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to be getting into some stuff today. General ideas, you know, how are we feeling about the team? Uh, because I will, we will be off next week. Uh, and then, of course, we'll be back for the week one stuff. But So, Daniel and I are going to sort of talk about the Bengals game, what we saw. We're going to talk about sort of our final thoughts on how the roster might shake out. And then, of course, talk about what we're looking to see against the Steelers this week. Um, and yeah, we'll go from there. I think it'll be a fun conversation and I appreciate everyone for hanging out with us uh, tonight as we inch closer and closer to the regular season, uh, which is just over two weeks away. Now we are, we are almost there. I'm very thankful for that. Certainly that it, that it's almost over, but before we dive in even further, I just want to bring you a message from today's sponsor, betonline.ag, your number one source for all your sports betting needs you can get the latest odds lines and matchup reports for baseball boxing golf and more perhaps you're feeling overly confident in these falcons maybe even more so after our conversation tonight you could bet on atlanta to win the nfc south right now you can also bet on various futures like that Des hammer those desmond river overs uh, i don't know why people still think he's not going to start you know 17 games but whatever uh no matter what you want to do though Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season as they've got you covered for all your insider sports betting needs. <clears throat> Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action and be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to receive your 50%. Welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Daniel. I've talked about the Bengals game an awful lot. 
uh, on the watch party and otherwise. So I'll give you the floor first to, to, to wherever you want to take it. Sort of, we did get to see a little bit of the starters. We got to see an extended look at Taylor Heineke, which we didn't get to see at all in week one, um, among other things. But yeah, sort of what was one of your, your main takeaways from that game? Yeah, you know, I liked the way the first team offense moved the ball. Um, you know, I think I tweeted this out after the game. I think the most fascinating stat of the entire night is that the Falcons first team offense actually gained, I believe, 106 total yards from scrimmage. Um, of course, they lost 28 from various penalties that, again, I would consider to be quite uncharacteristic um, looking at last year. And I, I mean, like if you look at Chris Lindstrom with two penalties in one drive, but I think he had three the entirety of the last two years, you know, like that's not going to be, that's not a guy that you're worried about being penalty prone. So um, again, I kind of was at a, I, I believe the Falcons finished the game with about 10 penalties for 62, 65 yards, kind of somewhere in that range. Is that what you want? No, obviously not. But again, I think you look at, um, I think Arthur Smith, considering the Falcons were quite literally the least penalized team last year, offensively, defensively, overall, they were, they were the least penalized team everywhere. So I think Arthur Smith deserves a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. And I think that there should be a lot of confidence that that's not going to be a problem that, um, you know, filters into the regular season. Um, And I I think it's more important to kind of focus on um, the actual offensive efficiency, which I thought was very high. Um, You know, it's, it's kind of a shame that the modern day social media will take, you know, Kyle Pitts one-handed catch or Bijan's one-handed catch and say, that's just a bad ball from Ritter. Like, I mean, the guy was really, he was, he was fine. He was probably better than fine on his drive. I think the Falcons move the ball, as I mentioned, extremely well. Um, And that's all the Falcons want Ritter to do is to be a, a facilitator. Arthur Smith has said this, and it's pretty much, I feel like, you know, a common thought that Ritter doesn't need to be particularly special to win games. Um, again, that's where you kind of enter the argument of, you know, is that enough come postseason time? I think you kind of cross that bridge when you get there. But I think that as of right now, preseason wise, I think you're kind of looking at, can he move the football? That's the one thing Arthur Smith has said from the jump is, are you moving the ball? Like that is object, you know, 1A of playing QB in the NFL is, can you move the football? Uh the Falcons moved the ball at a very, very high clip. I thought Bijan was very, very impressive. Um, you know, I think Matt Collins, you know, when we were at Camp Kevin, I thought Matt Collins was very impressive. Uh, the chemistry that he and Ritter had was very apparent. And I think you saw that early that he was a guy that um, they felt in rhythm. They felt like there was a level of chemistry that was already there, um, some confidence as well. And I think that was a pretty important takeaway. Um, and I really liked the overall I like the variety of weapons that they had. And I, I felt like, you know, we talked all off season about how many weapons the Falcons have, and you kind of got to see it all. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of that drive the Browns had. And I think it was 2018, 2019, when they had all that hype around Mayfield, Odell, Landry, you know, all those guys, like the first drive of the season, they just spread it around. And it was a beautiful drive and they didn't have that like the rest of the year, but that one drive kind of showed the potential. Of it. Obviously with the Falcons, you're going to hope that that's more of a consistent thing. Um, but that was kind of like the first thing that came to mind for me is that's a drive where they showcase everyone that they had um, for the most part. And I thought was, you know, pretty impressive, uh, you know, moving over. I feel like the defense wasn't particularly stellar, but you know what? They kind of the, the theme of the preseason so far has been bend, but don't break. Um, and I think that that was obviously a theme from last year's group, too. But there was a little more breaking going on than what we've seen this year. 
And the more you hear Arthur Smith and everybody talk about the physicality, competitive toughness, everything that that group has, the more confidence I get um, that they won't break as often as last year's team did. Um, and so I think that was kind of another trend that I wanted to see. Um, you know, I, I thought it was good to see Calais Campbell play pretty well. Um, you know, I, I think it was – I think the preseason that D. Alford's had has been very, very encouraging. Um, and I think when you look around really the entire defense, I, I think there's a lot of – a lot of signs for encouragement. And obviously I think that unit's only going to, you know, keep on getting better. So um, I was, I was encouraged by what we saw from the first team. Um, you know, I thought Heineke was kind of what we saw at training camp, you know, very hit or miss, very, you know, explosive one play, you know, turnover where you throw the next. And it's kind of like, you'd like to see the veteran rain in a little bit, but that's not who he is. And so, um, but you know, I mean, he'd, he was all right. He was fine. I thought offensive execution. I, I think Iguabike continues to prove that he's probably got a really good handle on that RB4 spot. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, you know, nobody wanted to end in a tie, but, you know, Youngway Koo hitting a clutch field goal um, late after some of his struggles earlier in camp and then in the preseason opener, that was pretty encouraging as well. So um, yeah, you know, overall positive night, I felt like um, again, walking out of that was a tie. It was not, you know, kind of like, oh, well, but um, that's the preseason for you. But I think, you know, if you focus on on-field stuff, it was a pretty good night. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you pretty much summed it up. I think what we saw from the first string offense is like, I mean, I I, I don't know. Like that, that was in, like, I don't know what more you could possibly be hoping for from that. You know, it's just sort of one of those things where it, it's disappointed, disappointing how it ended. And, and, you know, I don't blame Ritter for that. I think it was pretty obvious pass interference. Some people said it was tipped. I I didn't really see it, but um, you know, I think one of those penalties you mentioned on Chris Lindstrom definitely not a hold, uh, just a yeah. bad call. So it's it's just one of those things. But I thought Ritter overall made the right decisions with the football. Obviously, some of those passes were, you know, a little bit uh, a little bit behind. But again, it was like their first ever live game action with these guys. So. It happens, right? I mean, it, it they'll get sharper throughout the season. And, and Ritter's never been a guy that's been overly like accurate with his ball placement, but he's all he's good at getting it to the guy, a catchable ball. It's not necessarily going to be picture perfect, right on the numbers, you know, passes every time. But he's going to get a, a catchable ball to his receivers. He did that all throughout college. It's something that something that he's very good at. So, um, you know, I I think that he'll be he'll be fine, and I'm not concerned about what we saw. Uh, in this game at all by Ritter. In fact, I thought it was a good game from him and the run game looked good. Obviously love to see Bijan out there uh, looking really special. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic. Right. And for the most part, you know, the defense, not what you want to see against Mike white. Um, <laughs> but you know, they played the second string has looked really good still. Um, Obviously, you would like them to close out the game better, uh, you know, the the depth guys, but it's the depth guys. A lot of those guys probably aren't going to be making this team. Um, right. Definitely like what we saw from DeMarco Hellams, though, um, and that could be a good place to segue into sort of our roster discussion because DeMarco Hellams, two picks in two games, flying around the field, leading the team in tackles, I believe, in the preseason. What, what do you think about Hellams so far? Seventh rounder coming in and sort of just making himself known immediately. Yeah, you know, I immediately think back to um, our conversation on the live draft show um, when Atlanta took him, and I think a lot of us were in agreement that he'd probably make the roster, 
Uh, and I, I kind of think that confidence waned a little bit kind of, you know, throughout OTAs and then entering camp, he kind of felt like a guy who was on the outside looking in, um, especially because he spent so much of camp, um, you know, with that third team. And then I think, you know, in Miami, um, he started with the second team unit. I, I think that was about as encouraging for his roster odds as the actual interception that he had on that first drive. Um, obviously that only helped. Um, you know, the one thing Arthur Smith keeps saying, he keeps it very, very simple with Helms every time. It's just, he's, he's really good at football. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people kind of overanalyze and he's not that fast. He's not overly athletic, you know, can he cover, he can hit people very hard and he's very, very good as he's showing right now at being around the football. And, you know, I think that's a very important attribute for a safety to have. Um, and Helms, he keeps popping for what I would consider to be the, the right reasons. You know, the question is, will Atlanta carry four safeties or five? And it's going to come down to Helms and Abernathy probably. Um, that certainly feels like where that competition's at right now. If they keep five, you'd think Helms is probably pretty safe. Um, but, you know, again, with his skill set, he can be a very good special teams contributor, I feel like. Um, and I think when you kind of look at his overall preseason play, he's only helped himself. And I think, again, I go back to him starting the game in Miami with the second team, which that alone tells me that he kind of played up kind of into that level of play. And then, as you mentioned, preseason leading tackler, or, or at least among them, two interceptions. And again, continues to just make play after play and put himself in good spots. And I, I think, you know, for a seventh round pick, it would be kind of easy for him to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Um, but again, playing at Alabama, you knew he'd show up pretty pro ready, um, well coached, uh, and again, pretty physical, obviously that was kind of his trademark entering, entering the NFL and he's lived up to it so far. And I, I think that really it's, again, I'm not sure that he's, I, I've gone back and forth on him and Abernathy. That's kind of been one of those battles that I've been really, really split on. And I, I think right now Abernathy it feels like they've had Abernathy one step ahead throughout most of the preseason. But I, I, I don't think when you look at, I feel like when you look at what Helms has done, it's impossible to not keep him on the 53. And, and so to me, I think that there's, that's going to probably end up being one of those tough decisions that they end up making. And it's going to be, can we slide Abernathy through waivers and have him back in some capacity? And I think that's the risk that they end up taking. So I think as of right now, I think Helms, I think he's really, really tight. Tomorrow night will be a very, very big game for him. Uh, very big game. And I, I'm very excited to kind of watch, you know, how he performs. And again, if he makes another interception, that's three in as many games. And I, I think that'd be just about impossible to leave off the roster. So uh, I don't think you can ask for much more out of him considering where he was at, at the start of camp. Um, and then just what he's done throughout camp. I mean, even prior to the preseason, he was intercepting passes in camp. I mean, he was, consistently around the football. And I think that, you know, when you, when you look at Arthur Smith, Ryan Nielsen, what they're trying to do, it's, it's all aggression. It's all physicality. And I, when I think of DeMarco Helms, I think of aggression and physicality. And, and so I think that, I think right now he's on the right side of the bubble, but again, tomorrow night's going to be huge for him. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that, that Helms is, is it Helms or Helms? I, I, I keep saying Helms, but. Uh, it's been, it's always been Helms. Okay. I thought so. Cause I know some people are saying Helms. I'm pretty sure it's Helms. I think Helms sounds more like a strong safety to me also. So for the vibes, I think that would be the way I would, I would lean, but 
Yeah, I mean, and we just got a donation from Brandon saying Demarco Helms deserves deserves respect. Uh, please talk about him. So, Brandon, Brandon, we preemptively answered your question. I guess thank you so much for the donation, though, man. Really appreciate that. Um, but you're absolutely right, and I don't think there's really any chance that Helms is not making this roster. Like, if if it was like he wasn't making any noise, you know, uh, when we were there, it looked like Micah Abernathy was maybe ahead of him on the on the depth chart, playing with the second team while Helms was mostly with the third team guys, but. At this stage, it's clear that, that DeMarco Helms is the, the fourth safety. And I, I would be happy to keep Abernathy as a fifth safety if they choose that. I tend to think they're going to go with more corners, particularly with the question marks surrounding Jeff Okuda and his status for week one and Mike Hughes even. You know, it seems like the, the, the buzz is that Hughes will be back for week one, but they may have to carry even a seventh corner like what Aaron Freeman said on when I went on his show yesterday. I think it came out today that like he's having Darren Hall making the roster as a seventh corner because it might be that both Hughes and Akuda are, are going to miss week, week one, but not, you know, miss enough time to be put on IR. So they might just have to carry that extra corner um, for a couple weeks until those guys are ready to go. So we'll see, but I definitely love what we've seen from Helms. And, um, you know, I think all the rookies for the most part have, have impressed, you know, I think Bergeron didn't get a particularly good grade from PFF, particularly as a pass blocker where they really like, maligned him but he didn't give up any pressures or sacks um you know I, I i think i heard somebody talking about oh well he gave up he like he lost one-on-ones in pass pro but like if you don't give up a sack or a pressure it's like okay you know yeah. it, what exactly are we tracking here <laughs> but dominated as a run blocker and that's really why they wanted him in the lineup early is because you know right away he's gonna give you so much as a run blocker with his mobility that the Falcons just haven't had there maybe since andy levitre uh, so, you know, I'm really excited to see him as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think overall, I'm pretty happy about what we've seen for through two preseason games. This, this team has actually been really competitive and strong in the preseason this year, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. But given that we've seen this team basically get their asses kicked like every single week in the preseason for like years and years prior to this year. You know, I think Arthur Smith finally started winning, you know, a preseason game here and here and there. But Dan Quinn's teams were notorious for just getting pantsed in the preseason every single year. So uh, what do you think about that? Do you think there is anything to that, that this team is actually, like, winning some preseason games? I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting. Uh, I was kind of sad to see the Ravens' 24-game win streak come to an end just because that was about the most. Legendary, yeah. Probably will never happen again. I mean, I also quite enjoyed the fact that they uh, flashed back to that 2015 Falcons win over them, um, finally on the right side of history. So – um, yeah, but no, you know, I think it's, uh, you could definitely argue it, uh, you know, either way. Uh, I believe the last time the Falcons went undefeated in the preseason was the year they went to the Super Bowl. Uh, correlation does not equal causation. I don't know if that's the right order because I, 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 yeah, no. Anyway, so unbeaten, basically, you know. yeah, unbeaten, yeah, yeah. So we're on track. Um, we're on whatever, track. Yeah. Whatever it is about correlation, causation, all that stuff. But, um, no, uh, got to hit the books, but uh, it's, I think, you know, it, it's important, I think, especially to look more for the traits uh, above kind of the win loss. And I think again, this year's team, it's all about depth. And I think preseason, again, you kind of look back at really, you know, you, you mentioned Quinn's teams, especially towards the end, didn't really have that depth. Um, and we kind of saw that get exposed, especially I think it was 2018 when, you know, the team got shredded early with injuries and then just couldn't really, you know, hold on. And um Obviously, that was quite unfortunate considering how 2017 ended and all that. But 
I think obviously, you know, especially early on in Arthur Smith's tenure, 2021 preseason was entirely uncompetitive. Um, and that, that team obviously was not, you know, very talented. Uh, the bottom of that roster was especially not very talented. And I think you're kind of saying with this year's team, um, it's something that, you know, I've heard a lot of the players mention, a lot of the coaches mention. Um, preseason in particular this year and what they've shown is about establishing that identity. Um, and, you know, you've seen a collective identity, whether it's, you know, Bijan or whether it's Breon Borders or DeMarco Hellums or whoever it is. These are all guys who are physical, aggressive, competitive, and they want to win, you know? And I, I mean, it's obviously everybody wants to win, but you're seeing guys who legitimately embody what it means to want to win. Um, and I think that the, the energy that you're kind of seeing so far has been very, um, very noticeable. And I, I think that it's, it speaks a lot to where they are at, you know, with the culture. And we've heard about culture for so long, you know, I'm, uh, it's kind of still a sore subject from the last regime. But for the last year, all we've heard about, whether it's players in the locker room, Arthur Smith, you know, whoever it is really that's being asked about culture, it's always, you know, very open, um, but a very, a very tight-knit group, open-minded um, and again, a group of guys who just really want to win and kind of embody what it means to want to win or doing the right things behind the scenes to try and win. Um, and so I think for me, the most encouraging part of it all, even beyond the score and, and you know, the overall on-field competitiveness is that you've kind of seen a collective identity from one through 90 right now. And so um, it's good that they're winning. And I think it's, it's, it shows that uh, the overall process that they have right now is, is, is working and should not be, you know, kind of I, I guess you always want to tinker with it a little bit you know you can't kind of can't stay stale but I think where they're at right now they've they've for sure made pretty big steps in the right direction and so I, I think you know overall preseason leaving 2021 I feel like it would have been very hard to feel optimistic um, I remember that time quite well and it, it was hard to feel optimistic I think there's a lot of you know, again, whether it's on-field tape, we mentioned how, you know, relatively impressive um, the overall performance was from the starters on Friday night. Um, I think really it's even beyond, again, the score. It's, it's nice that they're winning, but I think really you just have to take um, a really big positive in, in the collective identity that we've seen so far. So, um, yeah, again, kind of excited to watch that and, and see how the top 53, I, I, I guess just the 53 looks obviously on Sunday and I believe it's 17 days now. So yep. that'll be entertaining to watch and uh, pretty excited. about that. Yeah. It's certainly more fun to watch the team win ever, like period, like the preseason games don't really count, but like, it's still fun to watch the team win no matter what. So, and you, you like to, I mean, you touched on the young way Koo getting that field goal. And I mean, I wasn't concerned after like one preseason game, like, Oh, young way Koo, he's probably cooked. You know, it's like, no, no, like it, come on, everybody relax. Like he, I, he barely kicked in training camp, like at all. Like they're just, they're like, we're not going to bother like making you kick a bunch in training camp. We, we know what young way Koo is. He's fine. Um, so that was nice to see, but yeah, I mean, speaking of that 90 man of that 53 man roster, uh, won't have, like I said, won't have a Wednesday night show next week. We will of course have, the uh the watch party tomorrow night 7 30 if you guys are wanting to if you guys are wanting to uh watch the falcons versus steelers preseason game with us not a play-by-play -play, uh, under any circumstances definitely just a watch party but um yeah let's let's get into some of your ideas about this roster i i've just did a, a 53 man roster projection um curious what your thoughts are let's start 
with quarterback where there is obviously an open question about whether or not the team might keep Logan Woodside on the 53-man roster. Curious if you have a take on that at this stage. Yeah, first off, I would recommend reading Kevin's roster projection. Um, as a guy who has previously, you know, uh, had the responsibility of writing a roster projection, those are not always the easiest things to put together and certainly not the quickest things to put together. So no. I, I would strongly recommend uh, reading that. Um, and obviously, Kevin knows what he's talking about. He's a seasoned vet when it comes to predicting 53-man rosters at this point. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd read personally. So, uh, yeah, but anyways, Logan Woodside, uh, I personally don't think you're going to see him carried on the 53 man. Uh, I think you're going to see him be more of a, of a true practice squad guy. Um, but again, that's, I don't have a firmly defined take on that, but as of right now, I don't think with as competitive as the roster is that they're going to try to sneak that third quarterback in, um, especially with the team's identity being so run heavy as well. I think that that should factor in as well. Um, but, you know, I think, as a whole, Woodside's preseason has for sure helped its cause in that regard, but I, I still don't think it's going to end up being enough to where they're, you know, like we have to keep this guy on, on the roster. And again, I think it's really kind of interesting. You mentioned Mike Hughes. Obviously, you have Breon Borders, who's been pretty impressive so far in camp in the preseason. He, you know, I believe he's got a two-game suspension, which could kind of, you know, mess around with some of the stuff they do with the roster. But um, I still think Woodside probably right now is not going to get the nod. It's, it's kind of – it's interesting because obviously the last few years you've had Felipe as that third quarterback, you know, slash fourth tight end slash everybody's most hated player, um, which is obviously a very versatile role for him. But um, poor Felipe. Uh, yeah. But, you know, with Woodside, RIP Felipe, but uh, no. Um, <laughs> RIP the Frank stream. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? We'll always have that 2021 preseason, but um no, I, I still think that Woodside, that would be the argument. I think if you're arguing for it, it's that they've typically carried that third emergency quarterback in Franks and he's no longer there, which kind of opens up the spot. But I think the counter for that is that Arthur Smith, Fontenot, everybody's been stressing for the last five, four to five months about how competitive this camp would be. Arthur Smith reiterated it, I think, I think yesterday, two days ago, just how competitive it is from top to bottom. Um, and with that being said, I, I don't think they'll – you know, carry the third quarterback considering that they could for sure allocate their resources elsewhere. Yeah, that, that doesn't, I, I think it's, it's really just that new third quarterback rule that makes me strongly consider. And the fact that, you know, Woodside has been pretty good in the preseason. And I hope you haven't spent too much time watching other teams preseason games, but if you had, you know, <laughs> it's bad. So uh, there, there are plenty of teams that might be, you know, happy to get, uh, Logo Woodside as their third quarterback or second quarterback, even depending on, on what team we're talking about. But um, running back, there is something, and that's whether or not Iguabuike, Godwin Iguabuike, is going to make the roster as a fourth running back. Falcons have typically carried four running backs, but they want that fourth running back last year was Avery Williams, who was also the punt returner, who was also the, you know, a key special teams player. Now that fourth running back probably just going to be a game day inactive. So curious if you, it seems like you're a big fan of Iguabuike and I am too, but uh, you know, with the roster math, what do you think about him actually making this 53 man roster, at least to start the season? Yeah. You know, I tend to think he's in a good spot, especially with the Falcons. I think still kind of um, monitoring Cordero Patterson's progress. I think that's another important aspect, especially when you think about that. He's such an important part of, 
the return game and obviously it would it, it, it would BK. It's a very big tongue twister. It would BK. Um has been their starting kicker turner in the preseason, or at least he, he was against Cincinnati. Uh, and so I think with with Patterson, if it's a deal where they're not, you know, we saw last year they weren't really running him out there more than a handful of times, um, you know. And so I, I think with with Igwebike, he's been so impressive the whole preseason. Uh, obviously, his story is fantastic, and um, it's very impressive. He's you know reached this point and kind of ascended how he has in the three and a half four weeks he's been in, in Atlanta, um, but. I think when you look at it, you're completely right about Avery Williams last year. Um, that was, I think, kind of a niche, um, a, a niche role. Um, but I still think with, I think, I think it's important that you mentioned early in the season. And I think it would be K will make it early, especially. I think if Cordero Patterson was a full go, it'd be a little bit more of a of a closer debate. Uh, but I think when you factor in how it would be K's performed, um, again, his his pass is a pretty successful, you know, returner. Um, and again, Patterson's injury history is not, you know, overly encouraging at age 32, I believe right now. So, um, those factors for me tend to lead me to think that it would be guys probably, probably going to end up making the team. Um, and again, I, I think that's a, that's a spot that if I was a Falcons fan, I'd feel very confident in because he's been, in my personal opinion, I, I've been highly impressed with him. I think, you know, every time he's touched the football, I feel like it's been positive. Um, and so, I, I think that's one thing, you know, I don't think entering the preseason, a lot of people had Igwe BK over Carlos Washington. It, it was close, but I think the camp that Carlos Washington had, um, I, I remember the first week or two of camp, there was a lot of buzz about how Washington started. Michael Petrie was a big fan of him, Atlanta's running backs coach. Um, you know, there was a lot of positive talk. Um, Arthur Smith mentioned that he was making plays and, and flashing in a positive way every day. There was really a lot of a lot of momentum there, and, and so it kind of feels like the preseason's kind of stalled that, and Igwe BK completely flipped the script um, to where that's not even a conversation really about whether he's RB four or not. And so um, I still think that they will carry that fourth running back particularly early, and then kind of feel it out as the season progresses. But um, I do think Igwe BK is in a pretty good spot right now. Yeah, he's sort of clearly taken over that spot and pretty quickly too. So I've been pretty impressed with how he's done that. Um, all right, got to get to the all-important one, of course. Who's your wide receiver five? You know, at this point, we we lost Frank Darby in that competition, and you know, it's sort of up in the air completely. So, so who who's your guy right now for that all-important fifth wide receiver spot? You know, right now, it's so. I think Josh Ali ultimately ends up winning the job. I think Josh Ali's overall summer, I, I remember he was pretty impressive in OTAs as well. He, he created a little bit of buzz there um, with his chemistry with Ritter and all of those things. He's a pretty, pretty consistent impact player. And then lately he's been getting a couple first team reps in practice from the sounds of it. And, um, you know, throughout various rotational things. But I think if it's not Josh Ali, I think the sleeper there is Zay Malone. Um, I think obviously he's Atlanta's leading receiver in the preseason. Yeah, Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a little, uh, Zay Malone featured article coming out here in a couple of days. So that'll be, that'll be pretty enjoyable, but yeah, it's, uh, I I think when you look at Zay, Zay actually told me that he feels like him and Scotty. So pretty much he told me that obviously Scotty's kind of the top, top speed guy in that offense, but he feels like he's kind of right there with him. Um, and again, when you look at Atlanta's receivers room, there's not a whole lot of speed other than Scotty Miller right now. Um, obviously Hodge is a pretty safe bet. You know, 
I believe he's kind of worked his way into that wide receiver yeah. three spot, even above Scotty. So um, that's kind of another interesting conversation to have. I'm sure it'll all kind of play itself out with, you know, whatever look they're in personnel wise anyways. But um, I, I think as of right now, you have to feel like Josh Ali is the favorite um, and he hasn't really done anything to hurt himself. Obviously I believe he tied with, I think it was Ortega Whiteside last game for Atlanta's leading receiver, uh, three receptions for 39 yards, if I recall correctly. Um, and again, he entered preseason looking like the favorite there between him and Darby. It was pretty close between he and Darby. And I, I think when when Frank Darby went down and obviously he's waived and that on a side note, that's I, I think, you know, you hear about how Mac Hollins and Ritter and London and all those guys offensively talk about how much he meant to the energy of that room. That was kind of my first thought is that's probably a tough day in that room. Um, and it would not shock me at all if they try to bring him back in whatever capacity it is. But um, just to have him it, 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 in the room, I, I think it would just be so, so important for what they're trying to do. And um, again, he's a juice guy. That's what TJ Yates said is he's our juice guy. Mac Collins literally said that, you know, between the two that Frank brings more juice. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of a bummer that he's gone, but I think him leaving opened up the, open up a great opportunity for Ali to, to win the job. And I think with how he's, how he's done the entire summer, the full body of work is probably going to end up being enough for him to win that job. Yeah, that, that wouldn't shock me either. And I, you know, I had Ali making it as the fifth receiver in my projection. So I, I agree with you there, but I mean, I, I can't, I can't quit Zay Malone. You know, I, I would, I'll, I'll pound the table for him all day. And you meant, I mean, what you mentioned is true. Like that, they have sort of three of those like bigger receivers and then they have Scotty Miller as like the one deep threat. What do they want for that fifth spot? Do they want another bigger guy? I mean, Ali's sort of like a versatile guy. So maybe he makes a lot of sense for that spot, but they don't really have a lot of team speed outside of Scotty Miller. And, and Kyle Pitts is obviously going to be one of their deep threats and probably could have been a really good one last year if they had a quarterback that could get him the ball. But it, you know, that notwithstanding that they do need some, some guys. And I think Scotty Miller's a good one, but you know, if Zay Malone has like a crazy game against the Steelers, then I feel like they, they may have to tough decision to make there because he's probably not getting to the squad at that point. I mean, he's one of the top you know receivers in the preseason overall in terms of his yardage. So that's definitely one to monitor. Let's, let's move over. Well, one quick question about the offensive line. Do you think they're going to add somebody to this group or do you think the, the group that they're going to go into the season with is already on the roster? I think they're going to probably roll with what they've got. And I don't really think it's a coincidence that Kyle Hinton has drawn a lot of praise the last few days from Arthur Smith um, and has received considerably more reps higher up the order the last few days. Uh, so I think as of right now, I think Kyle Hinton, you know, obviously not a guy that a lot of people are familiar with, but I think that he's a, uh, he's a guy that they trust quite a bit inside, uh, you know, inside the room. And I think that, that's probably going to be where they go. Obviously you got a lot of love for Reisner. I think I saw somebody in the chat comment that as well earlier. Um, that, that'd be a pretty solid pickup. I think, especially when you look at, I believe he started just about every game in his NFL career over the last four or five years. So um, would be a valuable addition. Obviously they've got the cap space to do it. Um, it's just going to be a matter of whether they want to. And I personally think they feel comfortable with Hinton. Um, but again, if Bergeron goes down, do you really want to start Kyle Hinton at left guard? That's going to be the, I, I don't know. I personally. I don't want to do a lot of things. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I feel a lot more confident with Reisner, but you know, I, I tend to think that 
as things stand, they're probably going to feel okay. I think they're probably going to try to reassess things after they kind of trim the roster down. And again, that's the one thing a lot of people forget is that they're going to trim it to 53, and then that 53 won't be the actual – very unlikely yeah. that that yeah. 53 will be the actual 53. So um, I guess my, my official answer is ask me in a week, which is actually kind of a cheated question because you're not going to have a show next week. So I get two weeks now to kind of consider my answer, which I'll spend the entirety of every day for the next two weeks strictly thinking about that. Um, but as of right now, I think Kyle Hinton probably gets the nod. Yeah, no, that that wouldn't shock me either. Um, yeah, moving on to the uh, the defensive side here. Uh, curious what your thoughts are. I think the edge group, there's not really much intrigue there. They're going to keep six guys. They're going to keep, you know, all the, the, I mean, it's all, that one's been pretty much set in stone since the draft, essentially. Um, but interior defensive line has definitely gotten a bit more interesting with Eddie Goldman, you know, leaving the team. Um, and that's opened the door for a guy like Timmy Horn to make it, but, you know, potentially Joe Gaziano making it as a fifth guy. Curious how you think that interior room ends up shaking out here. Yeah. I think the one name to really watch is Albert Huggins. I, I think that's really, you know, he's been very, very good so far. Uh, after the game in Miami, Arthur Smith mentioned that him and Timmy Horn were, you know, the two guys that really flashed to him inside. Um, Huggins again on that first depth chart, he was, I believe the last defensive tackle listed. Um, and again, how much weight does that carry next to none? Very little. Um, <laughs> yeah, but nonetheless, it's good for the narrative I'm trying to push here. So yes. anyways, yeah, his, his rise throughout, you know, preseason and camp has been very impressive. Obviously it was a pretty late signing and, um, came in and, and really impressed. Um, I think kind of the same deal with the London inside, a uh, very competitive guy got overheated actually two or three practices ago and had to be taken back in, which is interesting, but um, I don't, I don't think he's, you know, in contention for a roster spot to clarify, but I do think he'd be an interesting practice squad guy for them if he clears waivers. But um, back to the point, Timmy Horn, Albert Huggins, I think that's what it comes down to. Joe Gaziano, again, I feel like he's kind of been a, an under the radar steady presence pretty much the entire summer. Um, And so I, I think that's, it's going to be difficult. I think he ends up probably, I, I personally think he's probably around that like 58th to 59th guy right now, kind of in that relative range if we're putting a number on it to where he's kind of just outside. And I'm not really sure there's a whole lot more that he can do um, to kind of unseat Horn and Huggins. It's it kind of just where I'm at right now. Um, I think Timmy Horn's got the, um, got the advantage there as things stand. Um, you know, obviously played in every game last year as a rookie. Um, has drawn some praise, you know, throughout camp as well. Um, and I, I think Huggins has probably outperformed him in the preseason. Um, and I, I think that's particularly important to consider as well. But I think with Horn, considering that he's been in the system um, pretty consistently improved throughout his rookie year last year um, and, be, you know, at the end of the year became a pretty consistent presence up front. And so I, I think that's kind of, that level of trust, I think, is ultimately going to end up winning him that competition. Um, I would, I wouldn't hate seeing Huggins get the job though, because I think there's there might be a little bit more upside there. Um, you know, with Timmy Horn, we kind of feel like you kind of know what you're getting with him at this point. And I think with Huggins, we've seen a little bit more pass rush juice at various points um, than we've seen from Horn. And I, I kind of think that I, I really would have liked to have seen Eddie Goldman in that competition. Um, I think that would have been a very intriguing battle to kind of watch and to have seen where he was at physically and everything. And obviously it's unfortunate that, um, you know, having to retire again, but I tend to think that right now Horn is where they're leaning 
again, Huggins is deep down. Huggins is kind of the guy that I think would be a little bit more intriguing, but I think where they're at kind of just running a steady nose tackle. I, I think Horn's probably got the inside edge there. Yeah, no, I, I definitely Horn, I think is going to make it. I think he's pretty clearly won that, that nose tackle job. Um, yeah. With Huggins, I mean, Huggins has looked really good. So you're definitely taking a risk by putting him on the practice squad. Um, I just wonder, um, you know, I just wonder, you know, Joe Gaziano hasn't played a lot in the preseason and that, that might sound like a bad thing to a lot of fans, but I, I think it all, it means that they have a lot of confidence in that player. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens there, but it wouldn't shock me if they do go for the upside play there. Like you're saying, um, yeah, at linebacker that I think linebacker is one position where there's legitimately a, a wide open spot there at linebacker four, maybe five, if they decide to keep a fifth guy, you know, it seems like Tay Davis and Andre Smith Jr. are pretty, you know, pretty hotly contesting that that final linebacker spot. Where do you lean at this stage between those two guys? You know, I think it's interesting is I'd throw Mike Jones Jr. into that mix as well. Uh, yeah, he's, I, there. You know, he's, yeah. Guy, he's another guy that I, I think, you know, I believe um, has kind of seen some increased reps with some, a few of the higher teams in, in practice the last few days. And so I think obviously the way he's played in the preseason has been pretty impressive. And then you factor that into the equation. I think he's for sure a guy kind of rising late. Um, so he'll be interesting to watch tomorrow night, I think for sure. Uh, but between those two guys, Tay Davis, I think has kind of had the edge throughout camp. Um, you know, when we were there, um, we were kind of in pretty, pretty big agreement, you know, when Walker was on the, on the roster, so it looked like he was pretty safely, you know, linebacker three, um, that the kind of last two linebacker spots looked like it'd be lamb. And, and, and then obviously Tay Davis as well. It's kind of the, he looked like he had a pretty firm hold on that linebacker five spot. Andre Smith has played pretty well in the preseason. Um, I think Mike Jones is, he's very intriguing to me. You look at his college career. Um, I, I was doing some research on him actually this morning. Um, you know, you look at LSU, Clemson, uh, that's where he played, obviously. They're not, not the most productive guy. Like I kind of looked at it and his career numbers, I thought I was looking at like a misprint like a typo of was that like his final season numbers? No, it was like his career numbers about 104 tackles, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but again, I think he's another guy that's consistently gotten better. And you look at the high level power five talent, kind of like with Helms, um, as we mentioned earlier, you know, kind of how he's wired relatively speaking. Um, and you know, he's kind of, he's been around high level football for a pretty long time. And so I don't think he's going to make in the roster. I think, I think there's a pretty good chance he's in Atlanta in some capacity, probably as a practice squad guy and, you know, potentially a guy that we see as an elevation at various points throughout the season. Um, but I do think he's a guy that they like quite a bit. Um, and I think are intrigued by with the talent and the way he's consistently improved throughout the summer. Um, but I, you know, I think right now it's probably, probably a pretty safe bet. You see Lamb in at linebacker three, Tate Davis at four, and then, um, you know, assuming they carry a fifth, probably Andre Smith there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think Nate Landman's pretty clearly won that third linebacker job, and good for him. Um, going undrafted after pretty devastating college injury that really slowed him down. It seems like maybe he's getting back to what, like, if you go off his his tape from the year that before he got hurt, like, he was looking like this is a day two linebacker prospect. Like, this is a guy that's probably going to be going in the second or third round of the draft, and you know, the year after that injury, not the same athletically didn't end up testing out like terribly at the combine, but didn't, 
flash like he did before the injury. And sometimes it just takes time to come back from devastating injuries like that. And, um, you know, I'm pulling for him, but I think the Falcons may have really unearthed something in Nate Lamb and, and we'll see how much, you know, he's able to contribute this year, but he'll certainly have an opportunity to get on the field. And it seems like his presence and emergence sort of was enough for the team to move on from Michael Walker, which I think is notable uh, for sure. But uh, moving on to the corner room, this is another one that's pretty established. The six guys they're going to keep. I've been kind of surprised by Trey Flowers actually being the cornerback too, basically next to Terrell with, with Akuda out. And obviously, you know, that's with Akuda out. But uh, what do you think about Flowers playing? Basically a starting role for this defense to start the season. Uh, any other takes on that quarterback room also? Yeah, admittedly, I don't love Trey Flowers being in that spot. Um, I I walked away from camp thinking he was much more of a fringe roster guy than I did a starting corner. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, um, again, you, you look at the, the size. I saw him first day at camp and I was like, wow, like, okay, you know, who, who's that? You know, like immediately went down, checked the roster, like, okay. But uh, I don't I don't love the idea of him starting week one. Um, I would be more if, if you want my personal opinion on it, which I'm on the pod, so I hope I would hope that you do. Yes, I, please. I think that Atlanta, D. Alford and Clark Phillips have both proven, obviously not in the NFL, but they have both proven at high levels of whether it's pro ball or college ball that they can play, you know, on the outside. And I think if you're trying to put your best defensive lineup on the field, I think I would at least try and see what it looks like to put Phillips or Alford on the outside. I know Alfred can play on the perimeter. I have it on very, very good understanding that he can play on the outside. Uh, and again, Phillips won Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year playing outside cornerback for the most part. So to me, those are, and again, those are, those are two guys who have been very good throughout camp. And, you know, and I, I think that really if you're trying to play your three best guys, those are your, obviously you have those two, AJ Terrell on the opposite side. That's how I would go about it. Um, that does not appear to be how they're going about it. And I totally get not wanting to put Clark Phillips on the field early. If you're not confident in that, I, I understand it completely. Uh, we'll see about Trey Flowers, obviously. Um, again, he's been in the NFL for a pretty long time. I think there's also, you know, a reason that he's kind of become more of a, you know, rotational niche role defensive back um, and special teamer. And I, you know, I, obviously we're going to see how soon Okuda can come back. Um Cornell Armstrong, I think, is a guy that has gotten a lot of um, bad looks, but is a guy that Falcons are pretty fond of. Um, what I, Am I saying I'd start him at corner? No, but I do think he's a guy kind of underappreciated. If we're, if we're talking about Trey Flowers, I, I think it would be an interesting conversation between him and Cornell Armstrong. Um, I saw Cornell Armstrong in pretty good position a lot of times in camp and couldn't make the play, which is obviously you know, an important part and why he's kind of on the cut line there everything else that isn't, you know, involved in that conversation. But I think Darren Hall is another guy that I would like. I, I kind of wish it would have been more of an open competition there. Obviously the Falcons have seen more out of all those guys than we have. And obviously I, I'm not going to, you know, openly question any of that because they know way more than we do and they are way more informed than we do. That's like my main pet peeve is, you know, you should do that, should do this, should do that. Um, but I, I do think, you know, it'd be kind of, fun to at least try Clark Phillips, Alford, Terrell um, as a trio there and kind of see what happens from there. But is that going to be what happens? Does not appear likely. So kind of just a pipe dream for the time being. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that 
you look at the you, you look at week one and the Panthers are struggling. Obviously, um, this is a team that has been one of the worst teams in the preseason. But on top of that, DJ Shark announced he has a hamstring injury, which is definitely not something you want going into the season. Um, Terrace Marshall's already out. Lavisca Chanel just got a concussion. Um, you know, this is a team that's extremely thin at wide receiver. Now they don't. And, and the thing about it is that this is not a team that outside of Jonathan Mingo has significant size at wide receiver. So to me, this would be the perfect game to have Clark Phillips because I mean, who are they playing? Shy Smith, five ten. Shy Smith. Like I think Clark Phillips can handle that. Like this is, this is where you have him. You know, he's for the, those types of guys. And you know, you've got, D. Alford on Adam Thielen in the slot. You know, I love Adam Thielen, but old man Adam Thielen, you know, I'm just sorry. I'm not that scared of that. Um, And then Jonathan Mingo, rookie wide receiver guy I liked, but not someone certainly I thought would be an NFL wide receiver one in first week of the NFL season. And, you know, AJ Terrell, I I think is going to, you know, be able to to lock that down. So it's, you know, we're not, we're not getting to the Panthers preview, but I think if they were going to try to give, Clark Phillips, uh, a soft landing into the NFL. This would be a, a great opportunity to do something like that. Yeah, I, I'd look for AJ Terrell to uh, post a pretty high PFF grade on uh, Monday morning. But yeah, uh, yeah no, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, that's kind of the part about the NFL. And especially with rookies, we had the conversation last year with Ritter all year about, you know, when's the right time to put him in the lineup. Um, uh, again, as I was kind of just saying, they know more about where Clark Phillips is at as far as, you know, mentally understanding everything that's kind of happening around him. Um, but again, you've seen him hold his own against Drake London several times throughout camp. That's a guy that is six foot, every inch of six foot four, six foot five. Clark Phillips held his own. He's made plays on the ball. Um, he's lost plays on the ball. As Arthur Smith said, that's what happens when you have two really good football players. It's good on good. That's what London told me at camp or told somebody at camp. No, no, no. Yeah, it definitely wasn't me. No, I asked him at AJ Terrell. No, okay, yeah. But he told somebody else about Clark Phillips. That's, it was good on good. And, and so I think when you look at that, uh, I think there's no reason personally, when you kind of break it down, especially as you did, the matchups you have, um, and again, how he's performed. Obviously, we haven't seen him, you know, a terrible amount in the preseason after the injury in Miami, which is quite unfortunate. Um, but again, I, th- I tend to think that, that Clark is – I think he's going to be a good pro, and I, I think that the situation sets up well for him to have a really good showing, um, you know, in week one, if that's where it goes. Hopefully we can see him on the field tomorrow. Um, it'd be really quite intriguing if, he, if they rolled him out and he played some outside corner, and you could actually see him play outside corner in, in the NFL and kind of see how he handles all that. But I, I think absolutely um, – he's capable of playing on the perimeter. And I, I think that this would be a good opportunity for him to show that. So uh, again, same kind of same situation with Alfred. I, I think he could do it. And personally, I, again, Carolina's receiving core at the moment is not exactly one that's going to have you trembling. So I think it'd be a good opportunity to try it. With that being said, it's also a good opportunity for Trey Flowers to, you know, should he start to kind of play and, and you're not overly concerned about Carolina's receivers, as I just mentioned, um, so you can probably survive, but do you want to survive or do you really want to, you know, again, this is an aggressive defense. I think the aggressive play would be rolling out, you know, Phillips and Alford, but we'll see how they uh, kind of how that unfolds. Obviously there's still two and a half weeks left. So yeah, things can still change, but kind of interesting to kind of watch that all play out. Yeah, for sure. And we'll see, 
how it how it shakes out going into that week one matchup. But speaking of of things we'd like to see uh, on tomorrow's preseason game, reminder, folks, uh, watch party tomorrow night, seven thirty p.m. Uh, for some more preseason action, final preseason action of this season. Daniel, just wondering what what kind of stuff you're looking for in that game. I I, I don't think the starters are going to play. Do you think we'll see any of the starters in this one? I don't think so. Um, I think the more that you listen to it, I tend to think – I'm pretty sure Pittsburgh said they're probably not going to play the starters, what I believe. I saw Mike Tomlin say yesterday, I think. Um, and I tend to think the Falcons probably won't either. Um, again, especially the more that you kind of hear Arthur Smith talk about how competitive it is trying to make this roster, I think every snap they can get is going to be particularly important um, for some of those evaluations, especially when you kind of look at – you know, I think that linebacker spot, Mike Jones, I think, has a sneaky chance there. Um, and, again, like, I think if he has a really big game, obviously we'll kind of see how that goes. Um, I think Helms versus Abernathy is a little closer. Um, I think that'll be an interesting one to kind of watch unfold. Obviously, receiver five, can Zay Malone continue, you know, his, his very productive preseason? Uh, I tend to think so. Um, but, again, it's really just another opportunity Um I, I'm kind of excited. I, I think if Logan Woodside, you mentioned earlier just how good he's been in the preseason. If he puts together another very, very impressive showing, um, I definitely think that kind of changes where things are at right now. Because as you mentioned, you know, I, I was watching Baltimore the other night and saw Anthony Brown play quarterback. And I tend to think the Ravens would probably rather have Logan Woodside than Anthony Brown. But, you know, perhaps not for their offense, but just – you know, again, as you were mentioning, as far as overall performance levels, Logan Woodside, just, you know, using that as, as an example, there's Logan Woodside would be a better option, I think, as a second or third, obviously probably third quarterback than what some teams currently have on their roster. So um, should he go out and show that tomorrow night? Kind of makes that decision a little bit closer and a little bit more interesting to watch. Um, I think the defensive line, especially interior, kind of as we've mentioned, um, you know, Timmy Horn's been playing a fair amount in the preseason. Same with Huggins. Kind of how does that unfold? Um, can Huggins continue to stack really productive preseason games? We'll see. Um, I'm just kind of eager to see that identity kind of keep showing up as well. Um, that's that's one thing for me that I'm pretty, pretty excited about because the more that you see that consistently happen, the more it legitimately becomes an identity and not just, hey, we think we have an identity. It's, hey, we actually do have an identity from top to bottom. Um, and especially tomorrow night, assuming that they that, you know, we don't see Ritter or any any starter for that matter. Um, you'll really see, you know, a full showing from second and third team guys and uh, beyond. And so I'm pretty, pretty eager to kind of watch that. And again, you know, excited as well. that It's the last preseason game because then we're, I believe, a little bit over two weeks away from finally kicking off in week one. So. That'll be very exciting, very, very, very exciting. Very long off season. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of anticipation, a lot of optimism. Um, and I think you can, you know, if you finish the preseason strong and you can kind of see hopefully fewer penalties as well um, is one, one other thing I'd like to see. But um, just, you know, overall clean, healthy showing. I think, again, those are the two probably on-field things and then just overall, you know, quality tape. So, um yeah, I, I'm pretty – I've been content with how the first two preseason weeks have gone, and I think the Falcons are too. And, you know, hopefully in 24, 36 hours, we'll kind of kind of have the same feeling to it. Yeah, you know, healthy – want everyone to stay healthy, uh, go out and put on a good show, a fun show if possible. But ultimately, you know, let's see some guys stake their claim to the roster. I mean, I think it'll, that'll be something fun to watch, and I'll, I'll enjoy it. Um, and, yeah. 
I, I, I'm looking forward to to that and also to getting through the preseason and getting to some real football talk and obviously getting to preview this, preview this Panthers game where, please God, Falcons, let's just get this week one dub. Like, I need it. Like, we, we all need it so bad. So, you know, we just really need to get it. But, uh, yeah, Daniel, uh, appreciate you so much, giving us so much time this evening. Guys, he is at by daniel flick not at d flick draft anymore we're gonna have that updated you know for the next one but uh daniel uh any final thoughts anything else you want to plug before we uh sign off tonight you know i i don't think so um again just you know check twitter I, as you mentioned i have a new fan that's been new for about a week or two i think by now um kind of a bit of a culture shock you know opening up twitter and seeing my new name obviously I, it was my doing but still kind of still new to see that and um all of those things, but yeah, no, uh, as you mentioned, hopefully I just, I I'm tired of, of writing that the Falcons haven't been above 500 since I think it's 2017. I, I would like to see that stat change. Um, one of my favorite parts about the early part of the season is um, having new stats to type after writing the same old ones from years past or whatever seasons past um, for about seven months in the off season. So very, very excited to actually get new numbers to write about and new storylines and, um, hopefully the most competitive Falcons team we've had in several years. So, um, as, as always, Kevin, I appreciate you having me on. Hope to be back on soon and, uh, appreciate all the people watching and, uh, listening, interacting for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks once again to Daniel for donating his time this evening, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Once again, reminding you, uh, tomorrow night, Thursday night, 7 30 PM, we'll have the watch party going for this last preseason game. Uh, I may do another roster projection. We'll see if, if things meaningfully change after this preseason game, I'll probably do one, but if not, then I, I probably won't. And I'll just stand on my previous projections, but you know, we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens there. But either way, uh, check out the falcoholic.com for all that great written content. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe here on YouTube. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a comment. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast audio, leave us that five-star review. That really helps us out. Thank you guys so much for that. Uh, appreciate Daniel also for, for pinch hitting in the patron fantasy league. Uh, we, we really, we were down. We, we just needed, you know, that, that clutch, uh, ringer in there and, and Daniel uh, obliged us there. So again, thank you for that, Daniel. And, uh, yeah, guys, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I'm Kevin. I have alcoholic Kevin, check out the community discord server link is in the show description. If you're interested in supporting us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash falcoholic live. Tonight's show was brought to you by bet online. We will see you guys real soon here on the Falcoholic Live. Thanks again. We will see you uh, tomorrow night even. So, hey, see you then, guys, for the final week of preseason. Then we'll be on to regular season talk at long last uh, for myself, for Daniel. Thank you guys so much. Have a great night. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.